Good morning, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lexi. And we're disciples in the Bend International Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we pursue passion through the book of 1 Peter. This is our pursuit of refining our zeal and suffering as we seek to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Passion in the original Latin meant suffering for that which must be endured. Quite simply, you suffer for what you're passionate for. And Peter, of all people, was equipped to tell us about this. He's the most quoted disciple in the Gospels, the disciple whom Jesus is recorded talking to the most. Peter witnessed the passion of Jesus and his willingness to suffer for the sins of humanity. Be sure to hit the button below and subscribe to our channel to continue in this series with us and view more of our online content as we pursue. Well, good morning, everyone. It's, it's good to see the beautiful people in the beautiful park. And uh, hello, Maze, who I'm putting in my pocket right now and are on the Zoom call. They shaved their alpacas, and so their allergies went off today from all the prayers. <laughs> so don't know. <laughs> really appreciate the verse, Phyllis and Michelle, for God so loved that he gave, that, that is a heart that I want to have as well. And it is so good to be here with everyone in the beautiful park, as I said. I was um, up uh, up on the mountain on Friday, so I started going on these mountain hikes. We should all be going on these mountain hikes, right? Another way we can be like Jesus, you know, get up early in the morning and escape to the mountain and, and sort of pray over the city. And, and, and that's what I've been trying to do in these mornings, is cultivate more of an intimate prayer life. And so getting up there, I think I woke up at 3.30 or 4. Uh, I want to go out and start before the sun comes up. So then you can, you can really see the beauty when the sun rises there, everything turns orange. But before that happens, it's, uh, it's a little bit scary. It's a little bit of an adrenaline rush, um, maybe even more so for Madison when she reads about mountain lion sightings up there in the mountains yeah. and even closer to town or like right next to our house, <laughs> let alone up in the mountains. So I was hiking up the, the Black Crater on Friday and I get there and they have a, uh, it's a big burnout area and so all the trees, they, they kind of rub up against each other and they're squeaking and it makes a lot of noise. And I'm remembering all my mountain lion facts, you know. They can jump like 30 feet horizontally like 15 feet vertically and you know they'll stalk their prey for like two miles with their padded feet and everything so i wanted to make sure that i i, I armed myself that i was prepared i was equipped i was going to be safe against this mountain lion i definitely brought my that must be it madison loaned me her knife wow. <laughs> yeah that dip sent you gonna send him running. <laughs> this is about three inch blade i believe but also for father's day the bendigos gave me this one um if you can see that <laughs> yeah so I, I was definitely armed i had nothing to fear <laughs> this mountain lion in the same way what we're speaking about today <laughs> In 1 Peter chapter 3, is arming ourselves. Amen. Last Sunday we spoke about, hey, if, if we're going to suffer and imitate Christ, you know, what is the balance of, of suffering and blessing? Well, today we're, we're looking at that lifestyle of suffering, that mindset of suffering, this way of thinking of suffering as Christ suffered. How do we arm ourselves for that battle, for that lifestyle, for that abstinence from the world that looks so strange? But the kind of lifestyle that's going to solicit the question, Hey, well, what's the reason for the hope that is within you? So we can turn over to First Peter chapter 3. Now up on that mountain, I was thinking about our, our vision 
and our mission as a church. First summer, a year ago when we got here, um, I, I didn't want to make a man-made vision. I kept praying and praying. Okay, well, Holy Spirit's not throwing anything at me either. So I just, let's, you know, First John, walk as Jesus walked. Philippians 2, just have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Today, starting in 1 Peter chapter 3, that, that same way of thinking, it says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So even just starting out there, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, I got excited. Okay, yeah, this is the, this is the vision towards Jesus stuff that I really like. And we've developed that to have our vision be, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. Of course, the vision of making disciples who make disciples. 1 Peter chapter 3. What, 4? Four? Four. Chapter 4, wow, wow, yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> ben, ben helps me out so much. He, he's going to bring more vocals, him and Sarah, coming from Eugene, <laughs> to, to really pump up the sermon with the corrections as well. <laughs> Come on, though. Yeah, 1 Peter chapter 4. And beginning in verse 1, at first we're going to look at the contextual. There's two or three contextual things, and then we're going to really get into the heart and the why. Why arm yourself? Why, why even put up with this battle? First Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, before the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. And though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 1, arm yourself. I was armed against the mountain lion with my pocket knife. And, and Peter will say a, a chapter later that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. We want to be armed with more than a pocket knife. Yeah. And so it, it says you arm yourself in verse 1, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Imagine that. He's speaking to the first century church. There's, there's persecution. There, there's a government that isn't for them, isn't allowing them. They... They're ready for Peter to tell us what to do. Do we take up the sword? How, how are we going to arm ourselves for this battle? He says, no, it's a way of thinking. Now just change your attitude. It, it's a conviction. It's a heart change. That's how you're going to arm yourself for this battle. If I, if I heard it right there and it stopped right there, I, I would really question what Peter is thinking here. How do you arm yourself with a conviction, with a way of thinking? And it is the way of thinking of Jesus who suffered. I mentioned the last time, you can go to any chapter in First Peter and find the phrase, Christ suffered. So to know what it means to, to arm yourself with the same way of thinking, you can look at any chapter in First Peter and see, how did Christ suffer in the flesh? 
And I'll only reference one, the previous one in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 21 through 24, says, To this you are called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. Even right there in the mindset we learn that, hey, it, when you're suffering, it, it's not an excuse to sin. When you're suffering, you, you don't want to lie to get your way out of it. It says no deceit was found in his mouth. When you're suffering, you don't want to return evil for evil. It, it says to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. It's remembering God's calling. It's still trusting God in the suffering. The, the God is calling us to that suffering. Several, several things we can take on in the mindset for suffering. I, I even think as well that in that suffering, in that woundedness, it, it's an opportunity for following that example it, to show Christ to others. You know, as Christ showed his wounds to others when he did return. Hey, if we've suffered, we're able to sympathize with others. We're able to tell them about our weaknesses, where we've had struggle in our life. To suffer as Christ suffered. Now, the rest of verse 1. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. It's like a, a very direct verse, and then we take a step back and wonder, what does that mean? If, you know, if, I, if I, I'm still sinning here today, then does that mean I, I haven't ceased from sin? Does that mean I'm not suffering as Christ suffered? Two things contextually. Peter just got done talking about baptism. And that is an initial ceasing from sin and repentance when we're baptized. When we're, we deny ourselves, we're buried with Christ. We die to our own life. That's a suffering right there, an initial one. But also there's an ongoing suffering in our life. Peter talks about these fiery trials that are going to refine our faith. Suffering that's going to refine our character. But when you go through that suffering, that maturing process, this progress of sanctification, you should be sinning less and less. It should be progressive. You should cease from sins. And in the following verses, it's going to describe what those sins look like. One more contextual thing. Where else does Peter talk about the mind? If this is a, the same way of thinking that we're to take on, He's going to mention it again up here in verse 7. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. I remember back in chapter 1, Peter spoke to the mind as well. He says to, to arm yourself or gird up your loins, prepare your mind for action, for battle. In 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you recall, that's preparing our mind for the battle by placing our hope fully in Jesus. That's what Peter says in chapter 1 preparing of the mind. Chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, says, Be sober-minded in the faith. And then, going into verses 2 and 3, I just recall so much how, how back in chapter 2, he said, Hey, abstain from worldly passions. You know, in, in this battle for our soul, waging war against our soul. So now let's pick it up in verses 2 and 3. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions. Same battle, same battle with passions. You fight the battle with abstinence, that's one part of it. 
before the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. But what Peter's describing here shouldn't be a, a modern-day Christian, a, a true Christian going to church, all of the sinless. It should describe a, a worldly way of living that we've left behind. It, that's the contrast right here. He's speaking to believers saying, hey, this has to be in your past. This is describing worldly behavior. And for some of us, that, that might creep back in, that might continue. It may not be just a quick victory. The battle may require more suffering. At the same time, sometimes we can be tricked, right? Into a level of comfort or a standard. Maybe we've abstained from some of these things and we've said, yes, I have the victory now. I'm good. I, I'm living, at least, hey, I'm, I'm living at the standard of the Christians around me. So I suppose that's good enough. We want to make sure we're fighting the battle and continuing on. Not settling for a lesser victory. Not giving up too soon by some other standard. Suffering in the flesh, that's leaving this lifestyle of sin. The flesh there is just referring to the body. Leaving this lifestyle of sin. So if I'm going to arm myself, everybody following me, we're taking on this mindset. We know we have to suffer. Okay, so I'm not going to take up a, a physical sword. He says I have to abstain from all of these other sins in order to take on the will of God. Let's read on just a couple of verses. We'll pick it up in verse 4. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. Some translations just say reckless and wild living there. Or even rioting. And they malign you, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel is preached, even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Prayer is a weapon to fight the battle. In, in arming ourselves. When I was up there on the mountains with, with the little pocket knife, I'm pretty certain that I'm pretty certain that committed prayer to the Lord is probably a stronger weapon in any scenario than that little pocket knife. Now I need to make and not that I'm gonna encounter mountain lions and say I'm praying so I'm okay. But it is the most powerful tool we have as a Christian in fighting this battle against sin. It's how Jesus armed himself when he suffered, when he went to the cross to prayer. It's how when we're suffering, when we say, hey, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, we should be praying. Praying to overcome this battle. As it says in verse, verse 6 there, for this is why the gospel is preached. Uh, the gospel is preached because it mentions time so many times in these verses, right? Um to live this way no longer for these past sins. The end of all things is near. There's an urgency in these verses. This is why the gospel was preached. You know, another prayer that Jesus prays in the gospels, pray for the Lord to send workers into the harvest field. Have this urgency. 
This is why the gospel is preached, because the end of all things is near. For us today, though, right, that, this is written 2,000 years ago to the first century church. Peter's telling them, hey, be urgent. The end of all things is near. Judgment is coming. And now here we are 2,000 years later. Do we have the same sense of urgency? It, perhaps it's a little more near. And yes, today is 1,000 years to God, relatively. But we should have the same sense of urgency in our prayer and just an urgency of sharing the gospel. Fighting this battle, we do have one, one area of surprise. Surprise can be used to our advantage, right? says that these maligners, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. They're surprised. Hey, what are you doing? Why, why aren't you joining me in this world of living anymore? Right. But you have the advantage. It says, do not be surprised that you suffer. <laughs> so this is actually an opportunity that you can redeem when, when someone maligns you for abstaining from this worldly way of living. You say, I, I knew you were going to do that. I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, Peter talks about it. He, he says it in this verse right here. Let me show you. You know, it's also an opportunity, what Peter said about, hey, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within you. When someone is maligning you, that's an opportunity to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Oh, I'm not surprised that you're maligning me. In fact, I'm prepared for this. Let me tell you how I've armed myself, prepared my mind for this battle, prepared my heart, placed my hope fully in Jesus. Let me tell you about him. Now, to the prayer, the verse where prayer is mentioned, verse 7, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. What does that mean as it relates to prayer? Or being self-controlled and sober-minded. You know, it's being alert. It's, again, having that urgency. It's seeing things as they are, seeing the reality of the situation. Self-controlled in prayer, it's not just having a whimsical prayer or a going through your days, and I suppose I ought to pray now, but it should have more self-control than that. One thing that helped me with my sober-mindedness yesterday, I got to go up to visit my grandma in Portland, and uh, family reunion, got to speak with my Aunt Marion, who's a missionary to Africa. One of the most inspirational, adventurous women I've ever met. She, uh, she graduated from college, joined Wycliffe Bible Translators, and went to Cameroon, Africa. She's been through civil wars and seen all sorts of things that, that just floor me, essentially. So I knew I had to speak to her and talk to her about how the church is doing here in Bend and ask her how the church is doing over there in Cameroon, Africa. I said, yes, you know. And so this helped me be very sober-minded with how disciples are suffering over in Africa. She said, yeah, yeah. I said, ma'am, yeah, we're starting to meet at the park, you know, and we're sharing our faith, our faith even though we're masked up. She said, oh, yes, but, you know, COVID, it's so horrible over in Africa. We... We can't gather people, and so for our evangelism, we have to go out door to door. I said, wow, that, that's convicting right there. She said, yeah, but, you know, the troubling thing isn't the COVID. It's that some of the villages we're sending people out to that are on the outskirts of town, they have to navigate through the minefield areas. 
And I just thought, wow, you know, half the time when I'm preparing for this battle in prayer, right, when I'm just trying to work work through my fear to share my faith with someone in the park, it's like, it's like I'm imagining there's a minefield or something that's going to stop me, but there's not. But I imagine how much they have to prepare for almost a literal battle preparing their hearts, arming themselves with this mindset, knowing they're going to suffer as Christ suffered. There are so many other things that were that I could could not even relate to it that she was telling, telling me about it. And man, the church navigating through a minefield to share their faith. They had an urgency to share the gospel, why the gospel was preached. You know, I was telling her, oh, we, we, you know, we... Well, we want to see more Christians dating here. That that's tough during COVID. And she said, "Yes, you know, we, we have the same problem in, in our villages. There's certain villages where the men they value women who are only six feet tall or above. And so, if you're not six feet, if you're under that, you will not get married." She says, "Yes, this is a big problem for us." I said, "Oh yeah, totally relatable. Exactly." No. <laughs> Not something we deal with over here. Uh, so thankful for the work that she was doing over there. It helped me to be sober-minded. Wow, you're navigating through minefields. minefields. Man, you have all these cultural problems. She told me one more story. I said, yes, sometimes you, know, you want to work through conflicts. You want to work through conflicts in the church. You want to reconcile. Verse 8 here, love covers over a multitude of sins. She said, oh yes, just two weeks ago, two young men got in a fight, and one pulled out his knife, and the other pulled out a machete. So I grabbed another sister, and we got in between them, and we just said, in the name of Jesus, stop, and kept repeating it, and we pushed them apart. And I said, yeah, I wouldn't even know what to do in that situation. <laughs> but she had a plan, because she does this in multiple situations, because men are constantly going to violence in the setting that they're raised up in, and in the work that she's doing in her context. Man, it helped me to be sober-minded. When I think I have a challenge in sharing my faith, in, in helping disciples today, in myself, even working through conflicts in my marriage, um, my Aunt Marion helps me to be sober-minded. Those who suffer, I believe, can help us to be sober-minded. And when we suffer, it helps us to be sober-minded, to take on the same mindset, the same way of thinking as Christ Jesus. All right, let's pick it back up. Bandage when people malign us. Now, I want to make a note there. This maligning, it, it can continue even out of the world. I, I think it, when we when we are no longer living in a worldly way, we need to make sure that that doesn't that this maligning doesn't continue in the kingdom. You know, when somebody is living up to a certain standard. We don't want to pull them down or say, hey, why don't you join us? For example, if, I don't know, if somebody were to say, oh, we, we can go out wine tasting, and then after that wine tasting, let's go to another vineyard and go to that wine tasting, and then that wine tasting. Sometimes, you know, certain situations like that can happen amongst disciples, and if when a disciple says, no, I have a conviction not to, to go to that excess, as disciples, we shouldn't be maligning each other. The world already does enough of that. Don't revert to the world when 
we suffer persecution happens. Don't pull back from serving Christ or coming to the fellowship or fighting the battle. You know, I mentioned the urgency. Many of you met Trevor last week. He's a church on Sunday. Um, met him on the park, at the park last Thursday. I said, wow, so God, thankful for you coming up to me. I haven't picked up my Bible in 10 years until this week, just because I feel like God wants me to be looking at the Bible. Got lunch, shared a couple verses, came out to our hike. Said, oh, I got to know where your service is at. I got to come. Invited him to service. Spoke to him on Monday right right after our service. He's driving home. He was in a four-car pileup. And he's okay. And everyone in the wreck was okay. But when it says the end is of all things is near, when it says judgment is coming, it says you've spent enough of your time living this worldly way. Now live for the will of God. I encourage us to think about that on the individual basis. We don't know how much more time we each have left. We might think, oh, yeah, well, you know, my, my end times prediction is 100 years out or something like that. But, but personally, you don't know when your end is near for any of us. So why waste our time maligning each other or sinning against each other? We want our love to cover over a multitude of sins. Again, Trevor's okay, but on the phone, he just said, man, God is telling me something with the way I'm living my life. That Trevor saw the urgency after that wreck. We're going to have a study this week. Amen. Verse 7. Let's read that one more time. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love covering over a multitude of sins. That's another one where I step back and question. <laughs> First, there's the ceasing of sin. At the beginning of this passage, right? You should all cease from sin. But then it says, hey, love one another to cover over a multitude of sins. Mm-hmm. Alright, so how do, how do I balance that out? And there are a couple of great other contextual verses for love covering over a multitude of sins. First, in James chapter 5, 19 through 20, it says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. It is Save them from death, cover over a multitude of sins. It's the only other place in the New Testament where that phrasing is mentioned. So yes, it's love covering over a multitude of sins, but in James it also says it's the truth, the word of God. It's guiding them back away from the error of their ways. So there's a little more to it than love alone, and it is love to guide people back from the error of their ways. Speaking the truth in love, the word of God in love to others. Madison gave me that grace of love covering over some of my sins, but also guiding me back to be aligned with the Word of God. When um, I crashed our Jeep some months ago, and uh, I said, hey, honey, crashed the Jeep. She, you know, she held everything in, said, okay, okay, you know, are you okay? Okay, you know, made sure I was okay first, and came back home. But then 
then I started down a, a slightly flawed way of thinking, not a sober way of thinking. I said, but you know, it wasn't really my fault because uh, there's this big curb there. And who puts a curb there? <laughs> who would put that there? <laughs> and oh, the other guy was going fast. So I went fast. And uh, the, the more I gave all these excuses, he said, honey, I love you, but you crashed the car. <laughs> the truth is, you crashed the car. And uh, it's a little rough for me to hear that at first. Right, I crashed the car. I'm, I'm not trying to get out of this or avoid it. She loved me and gave me so much grace, and at the same time, it helped me to have some ownership in crashing the car. Love covering over a multitude of sins. There's a proverb. Proverb 10, verse 12, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. Now, I think if we're going to go by God's will, live the rest of our time for his will, we need to ask ourselves if we're in conflict. If we're going by hatred or if we're allowing our love to cover over this multitude of sins. I certainly want my love to be covering over a multitude of sins. But I even think about that verse more deeply. Can I personally cover over a multitude of sins? Hey, Lewis, let me cover over your sins. I'll forgive you. Save your soul. There you go. I can't just do it on my own. <laughs> and as James 5 says, you know, pointing out the error of their ways, it, it mentions, by this you will save them from death. You, you're going to save their soul. You kind of need Jesus to save somebody's soul. You know, to restore them from their ways. Love covering over a multitude of sins. That's leading them back to the person who can cover over their sins, who did die for their sins, who's died for all of our sins. So when you're guiding someone from the error of their ways, or when you're covering over somebody's sin, when you're loving them, Jesus needs to be a part of that loving process. Because ultimately, it's he who forgives, he who saves, he who restores, he who covers over the sins. We have our part to play, he has his part to play. And just, just don't forget that in that verse. It's leading them back to Jesus. You know, with that urgency, if the end of all things is at hand, so we should live like the world no longer, start living for the will of God. For this reason the gospel is preached. We need to arm ourselves for that battle. Be praying for that battle. But again, if we, if we go for the easy victory... A quick fix or a, a standard of righteousness that's less than what's adequate to complete that battle. That's less than what's adequate to solicit the question, why are you suffering? Why do you have this hope within you? If we settle for less, we don't need to arm ourselves. If I'm not fighting a battle, why, why arm myself? And, you know, if I'm not really suffering, uh, why do I need to pray? And, you know, if I'm, if I'm not really fully living for the will of God, then, then maybe I can have some of these worldly passions still. And we begin to compromise when we make those choices. Today, I want to leave us with that. We, we have a choice where we don't have to compromise. Where we can arm ourselves with prayer for this mission, for this urgency of the gospel. In a moment, we'll take communion here.
bringing it all back to the why. Why make that choice? Why arm yourself for this battle? Why suffer as Christ suffered? And we can all prepare our communion elements. There should be juice, crackers at each table. Why would I enter this fight? Why would I forgive my brother, cover over his sins? And since Christ suffered, what is our response? Do we respond with that urgency to share the gospel to the lost? You could ask yourself, going back to verse 1, what did Christ suffer for? Did he suffer for us to take on this mindset, way of thinking, this new lifestyle by God's will? In Philippians, Paul says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You know, as we take communion today, as I fight that battle, I want to pray for that power. I, I want to know Jesus, have the same way of thinking as Jesus. I want to have the, the power to go through these sufferings. That, that's the level that we all need to know Jesus if we're going to be fighting that battle. If our love is going to cover over a multitude of sins, we need to know Jesus in that way. We need to bring others to Jesus. It's not just us going out and sharing the gospel, not just us having an urgency, not just us trying to abstain from worldly things, but going back to Jesus and knowing Him. Let's all bow with a word of prayer.